I've got a fact. I've got a, like, I've got a curse and a film fact. So this is for you. You are a film buff. I am a film buff. So have you heard of the movie Attuk? I haven't, no. So it's never been made, basically, but it's based on a novel called, uh, by, by Mordecai, Mordecai uh, Richler about an Eskimo in New York. So basically, they've tried to make this film since like the 1970s, but every time they've uh, kind of like got a leading man involved yeah. and, like, uh, and sent in the script, they've died. That's so weird. I know. So, like, John Belushi was the first one, and he died shortly after getting the script. Then Sam Kinison. Then John Candy, the legend John Candy. Yeah. And then Chris Farley. Farley, rather. So that's it. All four died shortly after entering into negotiations to be in the film. I bet nobody else wants the script now. No, that's it. It's totally like... no one. <laughs> like, actors are, like, famously superstitious, and, uh, yeah, that, that film's never getting made. That's so weird that you picked that fact because I'm doing a film one today. I was going to do a film one next one because there's so many good film curses. You were probably going to do the one that I'm about to do because it's like the most famous (laughs) one. (laughs) How are you? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm not too bad. Pretty good. Yeah? Not much to uh, report in. Enjoying unemployed life? Uh, yeah, fun employment is still fairly fun. I went to the National Army Museum the other day. I don't care for it. It's not as good <laughs> as the other, <laughs> the other war museums. It's just like, it used to be a lot better, I feel. But now it's kind are of... You, are we just getting spoiled by the other museums that we have in London? Yeah, exactly. Think? Well, I went to like, the Royal Air Force Museum the other day, and that is just loads of warplanes. But the National Army Museum is... Oh, this is going to make you sound like an arse, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's a bit too social history for my liking. I just want to see oh, tanks. I like social history. I just want to see tanks and guns. That's what I want to see. I mean, I also in. like tanks and guns, so... <laughs> I like both. This is why the Imperial War Museum is good. It has both. It does have both, yeah. That's, mm. that's next on the list, I think. The last time we went there, we went there together and... Um, then got horrifically drunk afterwards. We did. Horrifically drunk. <laughs> like one of the most drunk I've ever got. But to be day. fair, we just handed in essays. We so. had. And we yeah. did one of those essays, so it was worth celebrating. Shall, shall I begin? Begin. Hi. So you've heard of this. Everyone's heard of this. Maybe not actually if you are listening and you're not like a film person. But you've heard of the film. So, have you ever heard of The Curse of the Exorcist? Oh, yeah, that was the one I was going to do, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So, hopefully I've done it justice for you. So, a little bit of background about the film in case people haven't seen it or they need a refresher. The Exorcist is a 1973 super horror... Super horror? Supernatural horror film. It is a super horror film. It is still very scary, even though it's made in the 70s. Um, it's American. It was directed by Friedkin, and it was actually written for the screen by William Peter Blatty, but it's based on a novel by the same name, and that novel is based on, in itself, a real-life case. Mm. Loosely based on. Yeah. So it famously stars uh, Linda Blair as the little girl who has been possessed but it also stars other people ellen burston max von sido um lee j cobb kitty Wynn, jack mcgoran 
uh, which was the last role, and Jason Miller. And it was the first installment in which will become an Exorcist film series, though don't bother watching the others. <laughs> I mean, you can if you're a horror buff like me, but The Exorcist is objectively the best one. Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. By far. It follows basically the de- demonic possession of a young girl and her mother's attempts to rescue her through an exorcism. So it's, it was released in only 24 cinemas in the United States and Canada in late December 1973. Really? Yeah. Despite the initial mixed critical views, audiences completely flocked it. You can Google like lines if you look at like images on google and google like line to see exorcist yeah yeah the lines are like going down the street and there's reasons for that which we'll come to like infamy is a good selling point (laughs) (laughs) well we'll definitely come to that many children were even allowed to see the film leading to charges that the mpaa ratings board had a accommodated Warner Brothers by giving the film an R rating instead of an X rating that it deserved in order to like ensure its commercial success. Several cities attempted to ban it outright to prevent children from seeing it. The cultural conversation around the film basically encapsulated a couple of things, including its treatment of Catholicism and helped it become the first horror film to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture, one of 10 Academy Awards it was nominated for, and it won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Sound. Up until 2017, it was the highest grossing R-rated horror film of all time, adjusted, of the course, for inflation, mm. until the 2017 release of Stephen King's It. Which really? wasn't, that, remake- wasn't that great. No, so. the, the remake of it was <laughs> Yeah, better. and the second one was total tripe. The first one was okay, but yeah. it wasn't anything on the Tim Curry one. They just kind of like um, capitalised on the whole Stranger Things thing, like phenomenon. I think so, basically. yeah, because it was that kid was in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was basically just Stranger Things the movie. That's what <laughs> Essentially. it was. <laughs> but like R-rated. I think yeah. there are horror films that are... Like fifth, what we we would call fifteens yeah. that are higher grossing because an R rated is like eighteen, isn't it? Anyway, we're not here to talk about <laughs> it. Um, just as a side note, some of you may know this: film critic Mark Kermode, uh It's his favorite film of all time, The Exorcist. Is it? It is. In 2010, the Library of Congress selected the film to be preserved in its national film registry, citing oh. it as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant it's funny how the the uh the powers that be can change their so dramatically change their opinion on uh yeah on exactly. well there are different powers that be from the 70s to now that's true but you know it's still <laughs> i guess like an overarching power that true that, that is at all times <laughs> i mean people ban the book we so mm. okay why then am I talking about a film in Curses Month? Well, there are many things that happened during the filming that make people think that the film is actually cursed. So let's start with a couple of deaths. First, we've got Jack McGoran. McGoran plays the eccentric film director, Burke Dennings, on the film, who in the film was killed by a demon plagued Reagan McNeil. Reagan is played by Linda Blair. That's the main mm. kind of character. His character was attacked by the possessed child. He used her superhuman strength to break his neck. 
and then flung him out of her window. There's a word for that in English. It's called defenestrate. Is so it? Throw something out of the window. Yeah. There you go. Fact of the day. <laughs> <laughs> when are you ever going to use that conversation? Um, ahead of the film's release, Jack McGoran tragically died from complications straight to influenza which he caught in the London flu epidemic of 1973. So this is even before it was released. He actually died. So coincidence, so far coincidence, right? Then we have Vasiliki Mariaros. Apologies to anyone who thinks I've said that wrong. Who played uh, Father Damien Karras' mother, also passed away the same year before The Exorcist hit the big screen. The star had actually no previous acting experience and was actually cast after being spotted in a restaurant. Hmm. Apparently died of natural causes at the inquest. In the film, Vasiliki's character died after being admitted to hospital and later haunted the dreams of Father Karras. Later, while the religious man performs an exorcism. Rager mentions his mother's name in an attempt to distract him and make him feel guilty. So spooky. But again, probably coincidence. (laughs) Dan's looking (laughs) sceptical. During their production, a number of the cast and crew, including Linda Blair, who played Reagan, and Max von Sydow, who played Father Merrin, lost family members. Uh, Blair's grandfather died, and on day one of filming, Max's brother died. Not only that, but the son of Jason Miller, who played Father Karras, had a near-fatal motorcycle accident during filming. So, so far, probably coincidences, but some people don't think so. I guess they would have been quite old, right? Blair's like grandfather, that's a grandfather. And Max Sido was a pretty old guy, wasn't he? Yeah, but like his we don't know how old his like brother was. Might have been around He's probably around the same age, I reckon (laughs) so. Okay. I'm not meant to be the skeptic, I'm meant to be like pushing (laughs) Yeah, I'm the skeptic. I don't know why Okay, so there's more. Those are just a couple of deaths let's talk about some other events so there's the freak fire which some of you may know about oh yeah the exorcist was faced with multiple production delays but the most notable happened early on in the filming i've heard some people say it was day one but i don't actually think it was day one of filming but it was really early on so the set from reagan's family home burned down in 1972 after a bird flew into the circuit box i don't know how that even (laughs) happened but Birds are that's evil. Like, that's like a classic, like supernatural thing. Like if a yeah, like a bird, like yeah, yeah, doing like, anything. Like, <laughs> like in like a like a, like for instance, like I don't know, Final Destination. Like that's the sort of thing. But it sounds that very like. Final Destination. Yeah. yeah. So that but the house went down, but the only part of the set that survived was the bedroom where the exorcisms would take place. Come on, that is freaky. That is freaky. <laughs> uh, that put the production back significantly I mean maybe even like six weeks delay basically and after that happened they brought in a real Jesuit priest Thomas M. King to bless the set I'm not even joking that's yeah. hilarious that actually cracks me up okay <laughs> so then we have some injuries as well so mainly back injuries, and I sympathise. So Ellen Burstyn, who played the concerned mum of um, Chris, 
McNeil. She suffered a spinal injury while being hoisted around on a harness. So how they did the whole like writhing and throwing around bits Mm. would be they would strap the women, well, to Ellen and Linda Blair in and they would tug them back and forth. Like men would just tug them. Yeah, this is not very safe. No, it wasn't. She was actually left on crutches for the rest of the production. Ellen told the director, William, or Billy, as most people know him, William Friedkin, that the crew members were pulling her too hard, but he dismissed her concerns. Um, He said he wanted it to look real, and that's why she got hurt, because it was real, basically. Well, it wasn't a demon possession, but... Yeah, yeah, but... (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, she was getting tubs. hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the actress alleged that the director made a signal and the cameraman slashed, smashed her on the floor. What the hell? Yeah. She was screaming at the top of her lungs and she was screaming, turn the effing camera off. I don't know why I said effing. We swear on this all the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a word in there. Um, Linda also claimed that there was poor rigging and it contributed to her developing scoliosis jeez the moment when she fractured her lower spine was actually footage in the movie because it's the one that looked the most real because it was (laughs) what a dick the director is what a massive yes so there's uh that's just ellen but also linda blair the little girl not a little girl anymore (laughs) she says in a particular take her lacing came loose um, so she was laced up by her like arms and legs. Yeah. And she said, I'm crying, I'm screaming, they think I'm acting up a storm, but I'm actually fractured my lower spine. Oh, Jesus. She went on to suffer injuries on other film sets too, including a motorcycle accident and falls from multiple horses. Oh, my God. So maybe it followed her. That's awful, though. Just breaking people's backs. <laughs> Just literally like... All for the art, baby, all for the art. But it looks so real. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, deaths that are like unconnected, pretty bad. Hmm. Spinal injuries, pretty bad. Fire, pretty creepy. Yeah, the fire is pretty creepy. A literal murder. Literal murder. So. In 1972, William Friedkin went to the NYU radiology department and watched them taking photos of blood vessels in someone's brain. The thing that he saw he thought was perfect for the movie. So there is a scene where Linda Blair gets her brain scanned. Mm -hmm. There was a man named Barton Lane and he was an actual radiologist and he performed the procedure in the movie. Mm. He brought his team with him. And one of the technicians was called Paul Bateson, and he made it onto the film. Barton Lane described him as quiet and nice to the patients. However, oh dear. on the 14th of September 1977, the body of a variety performer named Addison Virill was found in his apartment. It looked like the assailant was someone he knew, because there wasn't like full century or anything. Uh-huh. And then... A reporter called Arthur Bell, he gets an anonymous phone call. And this anonymous phone call says he's the killer. He said it was a crime of passion. He was an alcoholic. They did drugs and had sex. And then he hit him over the head with a pan and stabbed him in the chest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He mentioned that he was surprised if he got caught, he wouldn't be able to practice again. So, 
When Bell contacted the police about the call, they told him it seemed likely that this was the first solid lead in the case. The caller had known about a stolen credit card. This is a detail that the police had not made public. And they, he also described a white substance on the floor in Varelli's apartment named Crisco, which was a shortening frequently used at the time for like a sexual lubricant. Mm. And the, plus ha- the police hadn't been able to identify it so far, so this hadn't been made public either. Mm. Detectives suspected the caller would call again. And they went to Bell's apartment to wait. At 11pm, the phone rang, but it wasn't the original caller. It was a different man called Mitch. He told Bell the killer was Paul Bateson, whom he had gotten to know while the two were drying out at St. Vincent's Hospital a few months earlier. Drying out as in, you know, when you're an alcoholic or... Okay, yeah. You dry dry out, yeah. In inverted commas. Okay, so, while he believed Bateson was not the man's real name, since he knew he used the pseudonym Johnny Johnson, this is the second time we've had someone that we talked about that used the pseudonym Johnny Johnson. <laughs> it's just so it's silly. Like, if you're going to come up with a, like, if you need to come up with an easy pseudonym, that's going to be it, isn't it? Yeah. The most like common Paul Paulson. <laughs> yeah. um, so, he was an unemployed x ray technician. And this guy Mitch had called him earlier and apparently he confessed. Mitch asked to meet Bell in person, but the police were like, don't do that, that's silly. Instead, they just arrested Bateson. He was drunk in his apartment when they found him. When he was asked if they knew why he was being arrested, he pointed to an open copy of The Voice with Bell's article and indicated that was probably why. A detective went to the bar and brought Mitch in for questioning, and he was released a couple of hours later. Bateson eventually gave a full handwritten confession that was consistent with what he had told Bell. People connected this real-life horror to the exorcist. Like, he had been, like, I don't know, the devil had gone in him or something. Like possessed him. Must be a cause. Well, I mean, like, so, was he work- so he was working as, like, a radiologist... Yeah, oh, he's an X-ray technician. Yeah. Okay, like while like while they're filming the film, and then yeah, after he, that, his life went off the rails, and he lost his job, and then. Yeah, well, I think he was already some sort of alcoholic during the filming. But it was more like a functioning one then. Yeah, yeah but I don't know for sure. Later. I don't. I don't have his medical records <laughs> with me currently. It is interesting. It is interesting. It is very interesting. <laughs> so, um, he was sentenced to a minimum of twenty years. On 2003, he was released on parole. Prior to Bateson's trial, police and prosecutors implicated him in a series of unsolved slayings of gay men in Manhattan. Killings he reportedly boasted about in jail, uh, but he didn't have any additional charges. So he could be a serial killer, we just don't know. The experience inspired Friedkin to make a 1980 film, Cruising, in which which was based on a novel written a decade earlier, incorporated its storyline into the city's leather subculture which with which Bateson had identified. So Friedkin actually visited Bateson in jail prior to his trial and had a conversation with him. And he had kind of suggested that Bateson had committed the additional murders and was considering confessing to them for a lighter sentence. How did that work out? 
Well, I guess maybe they were like, if you confess to these, then we'll give you a life sentence because they want them to be solved. Otherwise, they're just cold cases, I guess. If you've killed more people, you get less time. That's logic for you right there. So much logic. (laughs) And despite this, Bateson's often inaccurately described as a serial killer because we don't know if he killed anyone else. You can't describe him as a serial killer. Get it right, people. He's a potential serial killer. Potential. As of 2022, when I'm recording this, it's not known if Bateson's still alive or where he's living. Friedkin said that in 2018 that he had heard Bateson was living somewhere in New York, but a social security record shows that uh, Paul F. Bateson died in Pennsylvania on the 15th of September 2012. So he could be dead, we don't know, could still be out there. Okay, so public reaction. The Exorcist was released on Boxing Day in 1973, very festive film. Very festive. But it seems claims the curse won't going to die down past its release. During one screening in Rome, it was reported that a bolt of lightning struck a church opposite the cinema. <laughs> oh yeah, and the cross like fell down in front of like the, <laughs> so the entrance. Crazy. In America, one woman passed out and broke her jaw, and she later sued Warner Brothers, and I think they paid her. Um. <laughs> In UK here, it was reported that St. John's Ambulance staff attended the screamings to help distressed cinema goers. I mean, this isn't the only thing that they did. Um, People fainted, people threw up. There was one reported miscarriage, which I really don't think Mm. was caused by horror (laughs) That's a stretch. That is a stretch. (laughs) But hey-ho. So The Exorcist is all about religion, really. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1972, Pope Paul VI made a statement that people should believe in the devil as a real entity. Mm-hmm. Not just like some sort of mystical thing. He's a real entity. He made like a proclamation. And a year after this, you get the exorcist. It starts in Mesopotamia, where a guy is digging up an idol, which releases the evil. The makers of their film clearly did their research. Pazuzu which is the name of the kind of evil that's released, does indeed come from northern Iraq, and he was the icon in the movie. However, there's a bit at the end where he goes back and sees Pazuzu's statue. But the movie they, the statue they made for the movie is much bigger than any we actually know. All the amulets for him are a lot smaller. So maybe the fact that they created this Pazuzu statue like in such a big scale released all this evil energy who knows they made a pazuzu yeah it wasn't one that they like they didn't use a real artifact so they like through doing that they like conjured him no well like the stat a statue yeah yeah but like by by making that statue they like conjured maybe conjured that's all i'm saying is maybe (laughs) horror films often have an element of religion that's not just yeah, the Exorcist yeah. and all its. There's Stoke and Martyr, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of religious things in films. At the end of the Exorcist, the message is that if evil exists, then religion's the answer to that. Because the priests do get rid of the spirit inside her and she's like all fancy wearing a hat and everything. And she's like, thank you. So, really, the figures of faith are the heroes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Apparently, 
uh, Billy, the director, actually once said to the author of the book, the devil is inside the celluloid of the film itself. (laughs) So, it could be real. Recently, there has been an uptick of exorcists that would in part be because of the rise of horror movies based on exorcism, which are all in turn based on the exorcist. Basically, if there hadn't been The Exorcist and subsequent horror films based on it, mm-hmm. people wouldn't have heard of Exorcism. Like, yeah, unless yeah, you're a like, Catholic. Yeah. I mean, it's been, like, because of popular culture, it's out there. It's like a fairly ancient thing, isn't it? <laughs> like, when it was when it was popular. <laughs> it was, like, popular and regular me. And apparently it's been an uptick. So, Vincent Bauhaus, who is an exorcist... <laughs> sorry... That's his job, is it? That's what he says. Says that they don't need to be scary, like the film puts out. He meets people that have been attacked by, he says, witchcraft, Ouija boards, wounded by childhood, and he says that he sets people free. He heals the heart and soul and he uses prayer and stuff. I watched a couple of them. And they usually end up like coughing. Or sometimes throwing up. And this one guy like ripped his shirt open. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was joking. And some of them like make weird voices and stuff like, I am Satan. Um, some of them arrived a bit. One of them said he was Lucifer, which is an exact line from The Exorcist. Oh, jeez. Um, however, this is a common, not common, but this is a phenomenon that we've seen before. You can kind of, subconsciously know about this stuff and when you're in that situation you bring up the things that we think it's likely to make it look true but even if you're not doing it like pretending you will subconsciously do it yeah. so you may be like I am Lucifer because he's seen it in Exorcist and somewhere in mm-hmm. the back of his head it's like there we use the things to basically fill in the blanks of what we think should be there Bauhaus says that the evil spirit will no longer be able to hide in their pain once he is done with them. He says that a child could develop problems with evil spirits by watching the exorcist. I'm not even joking. He says that exorcism proves there is evil and proves there's a devil and therefore that proves God. So this guy, is he a priest? Is he a man of the cloth? No. He used to run a furniture company. (laughs) So, figures, figures. There you go. Okay, uh, so yeah, last yeah. little bit. What else could this be? That's not a curse. So there's William Friedkin, the director. Linda Blair said, Billy is a genius, and when you work with someone who's a genius, you're going to be in for a ride. So he did all sorts of weird things. Like, if he wanted to make someone jump, he would fire a gun behind them, and they would jump. <laughs> <laughs> That's just crazy. (laughs) Uh, Little fact, though. There's another actress who's older than Linda Blair who did some of the more graphic scenes. I didn't know that. But now I think about it, obviously, they need to have a... Like, the shooting of the gun and the masturbation scene were done by this older actress. So it could be a lot of these things happening because William Friedkin is kind of insane. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one explanation, like the injuries is definitely like him just being a nutcase. Like, yeah, a genius like, nutcase. Yeah. 
Um, so the other one is one you mentioned right at the beginning, and it's what I think this whole thing lies on, and that's marketing and PR. So yeah. this story was sold from day one. They weren't going to shy away from it. Like, the curse adds to the legacy of the film. Marketing and PR helped people buy into the hysteria, and it sold a lot of tickets. It was a legend that projecting it was there was a legend that projecting the film in your theater would release the devil into your theater Hmm. so people kind of wanted to see if they could release the devil (laughs) (laughs) linda blair the the girl in the film said she was perfectly fine afterwards but people were always asking her like are you okay you're mentally ill like people were afraid of her because they some people thought that she literally had the devil in her (laughs) Um, there is said that she needed bodyguards, but she wow. herself says, I don't want to talk about that. So to Jeez. take that as kind of, don't know. Um, but contrasting that, the kid from The Omen, the kid that played Damien in the original mm, Omen, yeah. he didn't get that same like stigmatism. So it could be yeah. a kind of sexist thing here, like the girl, or it could be that this particular brand of horror, like the kind of, exorcism thing because she was particularly gross yeah 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 there was some weird there's some pretty uh uh graphic stuff that went on in that film yeah linda bear now spends her time saving animals by the way because she's awesome blair said that the P- a pr person once told her like much later when she was an adult that they were told to create fear around the movie to bring in the audience for mm. example, parking ambulances outside theatres. Really? So, curse or a combination of coincidences? You decide. <laughs> I feel it's just, yeah, it's part of the marketing, isn't it? It's yeah, it was all marketing. I mean, it's, there's... It's a there's... film about someone being cursed that is also cursed. It's a good selling point, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But I like... The Exorcist as a film. I like horror as a genre. And I like the fact there's this kind of weirdness around it. Apparently, I don't know if any of you out there have seen Titan, which is one of last year's best, best movies. It's about someone who has sex with a car. (laughs) I think it's pregnant with like a car baby. Apparently people fainted in the screening of that. And I saw it and I was like, I don't see how anyone would faint in the screening of this. So maybe I just have like a particularly hard stomach for for horror films. But (laughs) hey, I liked it a lot. So that's my recommendation. I'm guessing giving birth to a car baby. Mom, if you're listening to this, it's not for you. (laughs) Giving birth to a car baby is going to be pretty gruesome. That would probably... It was. I'm not going to lie to you. Probably, yeah, it's probably going to do it for me, that. That's going to... That will destroy me. I don't like gore. I love zombie films, but I don't like gore. It's really weird. There's some people like, yeah, horror films, but don't like gore. And I understand that. I see gore. I look at it, and I know it's fake. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, like, horrified by it in the same way other people are. But I understand people don't like it, so... I think it adds to my enjoyment, because, like, I am genuinely... Like, uh, like, anxious. Like, when, when, like, something happens, like, that, that person's gonna get bit. It's gonna be horrible and gory. <laughs> like, it kind of, like, gets me. So it just makes it, it makes it more of a wild ride, basically. Yes, watching zombie indeed. Uh, what's your favourite horror film or zombie film? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Favourite horror film of all time. B-b-b-b- 
I've got like a weird one. I don't know if it's my favourite one, but I'm going to put it in here as like a... Because it is very good. It's like a complete like... It's a bit of a B film, but it's done really well. Called The Children. It's about like... the ch- Like some children get kind of like either possessed or infected with something and then they kill their parents in like... Nice. In like a really... Sounds like, good like a, and might watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's in a festival of gore. It's brilliant. It's like, it's some real horrible bits in it. It's it's great. But other than I... that, it's Final Destination. <laughs> yes, any Final Destination. Final Destination like, oh series. my god. I'd, I'd love to... It'd be great to like work on that team. Just like just get stoned and uh, come up with interesting ways to kill people. Yeah, by we're, accident. we're gonna like this guy. This pane of glass <laughs> is gonna fall on him. And he's just gonna get squished. <laughs> and everyone's like, "Yes, yeah, that's a really good one." <laughs> yeah, I love that one actually. Um, I do like that kind of bad, gory. Like I love the Saw movies and I love Final Destination. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love those bad like 90s gory films i loved last year there was a film it's my favorite film last year called censor uh-huh. which i suggest everyone go check out it is a horror movie but it's not the exorcist horror it's not to turn yeah, yeah. it's it's beautiful and wonderful okay then um, any other recommendations like, well for like horror series i am currently watching uh all of us are dead and it is fa- absolutely oh, yes. fantastic. It's, I'm definitely going to watch it. fantastic. Yes, definitely 100% on my list. Like, it's the best zombies thing I've watched in ages. And, like, then there's, I mean, like, we've been, like, pretty spoiled for zombie stuff recently. And that is just, <laughs> still, it's just, it's fantastic. Cool. That's on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, my recommendation would be No One Is Talking About This, which is a book I just finished. It's all about kind of social media and also what like real life things should drag you out of that and how it can affect your mentality of things it's a fiction book Mm -hmm. but really really good oh cool and my other suggestion is that you subscribe wherever you're listening to this and leave us a review a five star one would be really nice and um, that will help us with the algorithm. <laughs> and uh, if you want to follow us on social media, and if you do want to follow us on social media, you should like interact with my posts because no one interacts with my posts and it puts oh, me off doing them. Poor little social uh, media yeah. boy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And that's at you. Have you ever pod? Yeah. And we'll one. see you next time. Bye. Bye.